0: Does your code render itself it's like the, out of your control? Memory. Then try memo. <laughs> What's going on, man? Who's that? I
1: don't
0: know. We should start doing that. We should start uh, paying homage by doing famous intros. Who who was that? That's Joe Rogan. <laughs> he literally does that every single episode. Three, two, and we're live. What's going on, man? What's ja- going on, man? Jamie, can you put that up on the on the screen? Those are the two things he says every single episode without fail. It's amazing. Hmm. It's pretty good stuff. Yeah. You're, you need to catch up on your uh, content creators, Greg. I listened to one Joe Rogan episode, and that was on with Elon. Well, he talks to a lot of different technologists. He talked to Andrew Yang recently. Andrew Yang? Andrew Yang is running for the Democratic presidential nomination 2020. Wait, so he's one of the 75 people doing that? Well, he was on... I think I think he was one of the first ones. I think he was before... He was definitely before Warren. Well, the first one doesn't... Too
1: soon. So, you know.
0: I mean, that's that that's part of the... Campaigning, right? If you have if you if you are the least likely you want to be out there the earliest. Mm. And so you kinda had to gamify it a little bit, right? Like I mean, or you just get in earliest and fizzle out the fastest. I mean, he's been pulling ahead of Warren, he's been pulling ahead of Cory Booker, he's been pulling ahead of Gillibrand. It's kinda wild.
1: Polls don't matter right
0: now. He has probably one of the most complete and progressive policy documentations of any candidate that's currently announced I right now I think I feel like I have heard about
1: this but we're not we're not here to talk about politics
0: I'm just saying <laughs> are we', we, here we to talk are talk about? about podcasts so what it are relates. we here to talk about right now what do we talk about this week yeah I'm supposed to ask you that well, I'm changing this changing the story so fl- fl- flipping it around oh man yeah I think we're talking about what's new in react There's a lot of new stuff in react right is that
1: what we're talking about you just decided that right now
0: I mean we, we talk about wait, we a two lot. options you made a split second decision just then. I mean It started off as talking about hooks specifically, but what's new in React kind of encompasses that and also covers other stuff too, right? It doesn't have to be something specifically from Facebook. It can be, how is React being used these days or something like that. By the kids. By the kids, yeah. It kind of is. Hello, kids. You're not cool unless you're using React, right?
1: No, you're not cool unless you're using render props. For sure.
0: Render props is... I I was never a fan. It's all the rage, man. I was never a fan of that pattern. Wow. It just looks, the syntax of it. it just looked weird.
1: It's also very annoying for encapsulation.
0: It is very annoying for encapsulation. So why don't point. you tell me, what's new in React? Well, the newest thing that, I don't know if it's actually out yet, but it's the React hooks, right? Oh, it's out. 16.8. It is? Yeah. So if I if I download Create React app right now, if I run yeah. it right now, it's going to do it? 16.8 hooks. Yeah. Is it in Gatsby yet or no?
1: <laughs> I
0: don't know. I don't, I don't know either. I, I'm wondering if it's in any of these other kind of React-based frameworks. It's got to be in React Native, too, right? He's looking uh, it up. Are you looking it up? No, I wasn't. I was looking at something it's, else. It's uh, what, version
1: 17? Uh, I'm, I'm going to pull up the...
0: The roadmap. Let's look the at roadmap. it. So for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, we're talking about React hooks. And React hooks are this kind of new way to interact with React components that is pretty different from how people have done it before and kind of eliminates the need one of the main things is that eliminates the need for class components essentially you basically don't need to write a class component ever again but it also allows you to be even more functional with your react than react already was which is pretty neat
1: yeah i mean it's purely functional which is kind of fun i don't know it gets
0: gets kind of annoying why does it get annoying no let's talk about what it is first what is it well the one's that I, the, the main one that i know about is use state Mm-hmm. and there's a little bit of syntax around use state. So traditionally, when you learn React, there's two kinds of components that you build, right? There's a functional component, which used to be called stateless functional component, but it's not anymore. We'll get into that. Functional component, class component. Mm-hmm. And the difference has always been is that if you're using state, if you need to manage state from within a component, you need to build a class component in order to do that.
1: Well, that and that and lifecycle.
0: That and lifecycle. Those are the two main things. If you state the thing where it allows you to use state mm-hmm. in a functional component. So you don't have to build a class anymore. Greg, why is this a big deal?
1: Uh I mean their their reasoning is that the I mean I think their exact reasoning was that it's fairly tedious to define state. Because if you do it correctly per like the original, like if you don't use any Well, you're still using Babel, but if you don't use any experimental class properties or anything like that, which Create React app does support class properties, uh, if you don't use those, you have to do state as a constructor. So you say construct, you know, inside of the component, you'd say, you know, class cats extends react.component, construct. Or constructor. Settings Constructor. It's
0: constructor yeah. <laughs> and then you can find mixed your up state between there. Yeah. I
1: get mixed up between languages because PHP is underscore underscore construct. I don't know. I always understand it when I see it, but then good old PHP.
0: There's too, many for lang- there's too
1: many languages. I don't know. I know too many of them. So um yeah, you do constructor, and then in there you would pass every component in React fundamentally gets pro- gets arguments. They get props and context. And inside of props is typically whatever props you give it and then children. And children is this magic prop that you can use to pass stuff between components, pass actual full markup between components and places. It's kind of like view slots, essentially.
0: Ooh, yeah. That's a that's it's a very great similar. comparison for our, our folks out there who are yeah. new people. Slots Views. is a really neat feature of view that allows you to basically do route-based conditional component. Render. I mean,
1: you could even do it with routing. You can just basically, like, you can pass two slots to a component and create two fragments of markup and put them above and below some other component. So that's a pretty cool feature of you, But yeah, they have that. Um, but anyways, you pass props, you pass context, and context is that magical value in React that for a long time they told you never to use.
0: Yes, to like, I remember don't, that. Don't
1: use, don't use context. No, don't do that. Yeah, so that's that magical value. And then what you can do with, well, what you had to do to define state before is inside of the constructor, if you needed like a state value and you, do, you ignore class properties, which we'll talk about in a second, but you ignore experimental class properties that are in ES7, you basically have to say constructor, props, context, whatever, if you need context. And then you would say this.state equals blah, 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 cats equals true
0: or whatever. And a big old chunk of state right there. You got to define Big chunk it. of
1: state. And literally the only reason why you have to define that constructor most of the time, there's two main reasons in like traditional React why you would use a constructor. One is to define state and two is to define that if you have a method of a class that is being called by any kind of handler or any kind of async code, you would use that. to. It's like the old backbone thing. You'd use it to bind state. This.onWidgetFired equals bind this. Like that whole thing.
0: Yeah, but ESX, with ESX, ESX, you don't need that anymore.
1: fixes that because with arrow functions, you can just say inside of the component, you know, render when rigid renders or whatever I just said, It would be an arrow function and then the state or the this context remains in the component regardless of whether or not it goes through an event propagation.
0: It saves you lines of code for every function that you write. Yeah, So So,
1: one of the arguments to hooks, well mainly one of the things that people use the experimental class properties for is that you can just define, so sometimes you'll see in React if you're learning it, they'll have like just right at the top of the class component they'll say state equals something. And you're like what the heck does that mean? Because React classes, well JavaScript classes don't have they do have experimental class properties, but they don't actually have or never have had in the past actual class properties. You would define them in the constructor and you'd bind them to the this, which is why in JavaScript, this is such a weird thing, because when you're inside of a class, even just well, you know, with ES6, you have actual classes. But before, if you remember back in the day,
0: back in the day, the way hipster young kids React. don't
1: remember this, but you didn't have classes.
0: <gasps> what?
1: You could create like an object like that from a prototype and you can say the, uh, you know, object. prototype. whatever, or, or this class. prototype equals. That. I don't even remember.
0: But you wouldn't. You would never define anything that way. You there was a way to define a class,
1: but essentially was in like almost like a. It was a function
0: that yeah, returned you, they, a bunch of variables. That was a, a pattern that. Yeah, there was a lot of. Patterns. You never used that ever. I used them almost. a lot.
1: There was like the. Um, there was a ton of patterns that were built around. They're essentially just really crazy iffies. And you have yes, like a function yes, that calls true. itself yep. and then returns a thing that thing has properties because you're just basically creating a really complex object like a pojo, like a plain old, not Java object, but plain old JavaScript object where you would just say like, you know, const, well, before you even had that, it would be like var cats equals and then object big old, big old object. Yeah, and then if you wanted to make that be a closure, which is the whole purpose of having object encapsulation, you would wrap it in an iffy so that right. you create a closure the minute that the function is called and then nothing... Can read except for through the prototype, nothing can read what's inside of it. Is the whole idea you create encapsulation?
0: Yeah, because
1: JavaScript doesn't have the
0: no, features definitely. of like
1: Java like encapsulation. Even today, JavaScript objects don't have private variables because they're always attached to the prototype. Unless you create an iffy in like or not an iffy, but if you create create an enclosure inside of your object or you use a set or like a map. I think it's sets. There's one of them that you can use to create variables private variables.
0: Yeah. But
1: you're essentially hiding them. You're hiding them like through a hash map, I think. But either way, you can always access values of an object, of a React class. They're always attached to the things dot. You can read their this values
0: unless it's in a closure. But you're usually not, though.
1: I mean, it depends on how much you care. All of your code is front-end code, so it's like people can see it. It's not like you're, you're writing like... The whole purpose of Java's encapsulation is that you're actually writing like banking widgets and you want to make sure that protected and private variables are protected and private. But in front-end code, like... I mean, front-end's the Wild West.
0: Don't put account numbers in your front-end code, guys. Well, you always,
1: you would always, yeah, you might give it like a client code to Stripe or something, but then Stripe is going to do validation. You're going to do CSS protection, CSRF protection. You're going to do all kinds of things to protect it, but we are going either way. You create those values inside of a, uh, a class property in like Babel 7. So you'll say like state equals something cat's true, and then that becomes a state value. But it's only because React itself is introspecting the object's properties and it's saying, well, if you create a property called state, I know that's the state. So they're doing work to make it so the class properties work for you.
0: Yeah, it's like reserved specifically for a thing that React handles for you.
1: Yeah, but if you were to create a regular old JavaScript class and create a value called state, you can do it. There's nothing special about the state value. It's just that they know when they introspect into your own class, they know that if it's a value called state, then they essentially... I mean, I think Babel does it. I think I don't think React does it. I think Babel just converts that to a construct this dot state equals this. Ooh, fun. Either way, I mean, Babel does some weird stuff. But either way, you don't actually have those properties. So, getting back to the whole point of useState. So, with useState, you'll say you'll essentially say const, and then you do structure two values. So you say the name of the state value. So when you say useState, what they're doing is they're calling a function that you pass it something to, and that's the initial value of that state.
0: And then you have a function that modifies that.
1: Yeah, they pass you back the value and they pass you back a function to modify it. So they've created like a a function that you essentially say you know uh, uh, const cats update cats equals use state, and then you put in a value of like true or false say. And then they'll initialize the state with true and then return you that value and return you a function to change it. Whenever you change it you're doing some observable magic to make it so that that value changes in the component. Yeah, and you can
0: pass that update function whatever you want. You can mm-hmm. pass it you
1: can pass it down 14 components down, you can do whatever you want as long as you keep a handle on that function. Yep. So that is like the most basic hook is you just say const cats update cats equals use state true false or the name of the cat, whatever it is. object, you can do anything. And then you can change that value and it'll update. The other one that's really cool is use context, which basically takes an already defined context provider and attaches it to a component. So it's the same thing as saying in the constructor or um, well, by either you're using a render prop or in the however you define I've used to the render prop version, but however you bind to it, you're essentially binding to the, con, the um, to that context provider so that whenever it updates and it's updating and managing its own state outside of the component. so it's outside of the React state render tree. They're essentially using that same logic that provides dynamically watchable and updatable values and using it for something called context.
0: And you can use that in a functional component?
1: Yeah, you can define context. inside. You could do that before in a functional component.
0: The only thing you couldn't do is you couldn't use state. Oh, okay.
1: So you could have used context by using a render prop version of a context provider in a functional component, but you couldn't have defined state. So that was when it was always weird, where you're like, hmm. If I define a value inside of the render of a functional component and then I change that value, it's never going to change. It's
0: not going to, yeah, it's not going to.
1: It's never going to run the render it. again, yeah. right? So, but then if you define the value as a prop coming into it, the component will re render because this render, render function is always called. The, the function is always called with the new values. So you can get around that. The other way you do that with a class component, if you want to be really, really, really bad, you can define uh, constant values above a class component and you can use them as non renderable values because i've had trouble with like usually this is an anti-pattern but i've had trouble where like you define a value inside of a react component as state and the only way you can change it is by actually changing the state which causes the component to render and you don't want that sometimes sometimes causes an infinite loop so oh, sometimes man, you have not to, those infinite yes yeah, sometimes <laughs> back you, so you never really notice uh people typically when they're like writing react components they won't a lot of the examples won't show that you can actually just define another class property that's not called state.
0: It, yeah, it doesn't have to be inside of the actual component state. It can just be a constant. Just
1: be a value. Just sitting there, just showing. It can be this.cats equals something, and then you change cats in the render. and then. But the thing is, if you change that value somehow, it's not going to cause the component to re-render. So something you can cache a value in the component, or even if you're really bad, outside of the component above it, I've done this a lot with like gates. So like you have something rendering and then you have like a component will or component did update loop. And you're trying to say like, well, if this value set to true, then bypass the loop and don't run. So you can do that often with like a value that gets set by the component when it renders, but then it will, you can change the value when that render loop is done. But then the next time around, something outside of the component would have to get it to render because you can't just call this.set state.
0: Yeah, and you don't. The whole reason you would do that is to avoid the actual re-render. Yeah. For whatever reason that is, to avoid infinite loops, to do conditionals, whatever. But yeah, you want to be able to manipulate something within the component, or not within the component, but somewhere near the component without actually triggering the re-render. Yeah, it's a weird use case, but it does come up. Oh, I used I'll do it all the time. But you see, the thing is, what we're getting at is these are a lot of like remember
1: the, the episode we did Data jujitsu and all we did problems. Data jujitsu. Yeah, all those kind of problems you have with React components that are related to state rendering and caching of values and accepting values, storing values, using context, all those weird things, that's some of the things that hooks are trying to solve is trying to get rid of some of those issues. So the other really big hook, before we kind of get into the, well, we've already gone a little bit of the details, but before you get into like a lot of details, the other really big hook is called effect. Use effect. Yeah, and use effect is pretty cool. What it does is it essentially combines both component did mount and component did update in one thing called an effect. So essentially, if, because have you ever written like something where you're, say you have a component and you're not using Redux and you're not using MobX, and you're not using some other kind of state management and that component, when it mounts, needs to request data. Say it's like a picture gallery. Component did mount, you know, you'll say
0: like, that's a request from somewhere else?
1: That's a request from an API. Okay. So you'll say like whatever, if you say you're not abstracting anything and your API calls literally in your component, you have a single component that does some stuff, something renders it and then it goes out and gets data or say a prop comes in and tells it what color you're on and then the API calls going to Pinterest and grabbing all the red images or something like that. You're making a mood board. Okay. Cool mood board. Red mood board, right? So red comes in as a prop and then you say, great. When I mount, I have an initial color called red and I'm gonna to go to the Pinterest API and I'm gonna grab red images from my profile or whatever. I don't know. Whatever wherever you're getting it from. Then what it'll do is it'll take all of those. When the component did update happens, when that API call finishes, you will then say this.set state pictures equals that, that response value. You Error right. check it, you do all the cool stuff there. When that happens, when you call set state, it's gonna cause the component to re-render, and then it's gonna render all the red images into the view and then if you say from maybe another component or the same component you change to blue images then that component is going to get another render and it's going to say well it's going to get a new essentially if you think about functional components like functional react components literally what react will do is it'll say I got new props and parent component call all my children's render functions and yeah, pass we them props. The
0: whole props re-renders
1: the tree does whatever it does but all you got things. now you got a blue you got a blue color okay well, the only your component did update is not going to happen again unless for some reason in the parent component you said if it's red go ahead and render uh, if it's blue then return null. Unless you're for, yeah unless you're forcing and then you render it again somehow. The component will update which you never really artificially. You never really will do that, but you can say like wherever I placed this component in the JSX of the parent component, return null. That will literally unrender the component, release it from the DOM, it'll go away that memory value will be unreferced. Yeah, but you don't want that
0: though.
1: I don't know. Yeah, that could happen, right? Um, what you'd normally do is you'd let it render. So then what's going to happen is the blue color is going to come through, but it's not going to come through in the component did update. It's going to come through in the component did, did, or sorry, not the component did mount, it'll come through in the component did update. Yes. So that's where you'll be able to say, well, if the component did update, then you're like, okay, cool. So let's just take it very crudely at first. Let me think about it. We're like, okay, so the component did update. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to make an API call. So I'm going to say this.request, fetch, whatever you're using, you know, fetch pinterest.com slash yada images slash blue or whatever. And then you're, what are you going to do with that? Inside of that, you're going to call set state. If you do that in a component did update, you're going to have a bad time because you're going to have an infinite loop because then your render is going to come through with new images and it's going to say, okay, cool, component did update great it happened again make the api call set state goes in a loop over and over and over again yeah cuz the component it, right? did
0: update will trigger the api call yeah that's the that's the fundamental part that you have to get out of
1: yeah so what usually you'll do in you know in that situation is you'll say well on component did update you'll say uh if the current color that's why component did update's arguments are the current props the previous props and the current state whatever it is there's there's some arguments to it but it's like Basically, it's what no, it's what were the previous props and what was the previous state? Because currently, when you're in component update, you have this dot state and this dot so you have the new ones, right? So you'll be able to compare it. You'll say if this dot does not equal prev then I'm going to go ahead and call the API, go through the whole loop. So then you stop your infinite loop. Whenever the color changes, it'll actually get the API and re-render. So what the problem you have there? is that if you used component did update, Say so you're just walking through it really, really crudely, if you used component did mount and you put an API call there and you used component did update, you put an API call there with a type, with a quick check, you've essentially called the API in two parts of the same component. So then you're like, great. What if I made a function called this.getData? So you create a new, well, yeah, we're talking in class components. So in the class component, you make a, a class function called getData. And then you would, from the component did update and the component did mount, you'll call get data with the current color, right? Right. So now you've shared that API functionality between two methods. But what ends up happening with the React components is usually in the component did update, you'll have a lot more error checking, like, are the colors different? Do I actually have colors? All of these things, right? Right. But in the component did mount, you don't have those. You're just like, go get the colors of the current color. The current color is red. Go for it. Great, got it. You know, so the two methods are very similar, but they're just slightly different, right? One of them has a check, and the other one doesn't. Now, that very crude example, that check is super simple. Is the color the same as the previous color? I can guarantee you that those checks get more crazy. So that's where use effect comes from. Oh man! So use effect basically combines both the component did mount and component did update into something called an effect. And it's essentially the same, this a similar API or method for the same thing. And I'm Googling it because I have only used hooks on one project so far. So I'm just going to go to their page. So, yeah. So they talk about things like anything that's a side effect. So I'm just kind of paraphrasing just by looking at it real quick. So, Data fetching, setting up a subscription, manually changing the DOM and a React components are all examples of side effects. Whether or not you're used to calling these operations side effects or just effects, you've likely performed them in your components before. So one of the other things that Use effect allows you to do is in if, say, you were going to bind, like, a click event or something, not a click event, but say you're going to bind to something, say you're going to create a set timeout. It's a good example, like a traditional example. You're going to make a set timeout in your component did mount. Well, if you don't in your component did unmount or will unmount, whichever one they haven't deprecated because they're always changing. Because
0: they're always changing. We don't know.
1: (laughs) I I think it's will. And because did is like, well, it's already unmounted. It's gone now. That's why they deprecated it. Will, I think is the one you use. So either way, in the component will unmount, you'll have bound in the class using a constructor likely to uh, a value called like this dot, you know, whatever timer. And then when you're in the unmount, You'll say, "Well, I got to keep a handle on the same timer." This goes back to like Backbone days. Same thing. You got to keep a handle on the timer so that, in the will unmount, you can un you can clear the timeout. Otherwise, you're gonna have you're gonna have a. It's just gonna
0: keep going, yeah. It's
1: gonna either keep going or you'll have a handler. The only time you really ever notice it, it's it's a memory leak either way. But the only time you really ever notice it is if inside of your timeout, which most of the time if you have a timeout. What are you probably doing in the timeout function call? You're probably calling set state, right? So, inside of every time the timeout goes or every time the interstate's an interval, every time the interval hits it's going to it's going to try to set state. but if the component's unmounted you're going to it's going to react to a complaint it's going to say you're trying to call set state on an unmounted component so one of the things that you would traditionally do between all those three methods is component did mount you'd bind you'd bind an interval and then unmount you'd unbind the interval and then say inside of the interval that component did mount created you would call set state on every loop of the interval and then in component did update you could have a reaction to the state changing of some kind sounds like a mess it is and it's it's, it's, it's such a pain sometimes so one of the things that effect allows you to do one of the cool things that it does besides allowing you to combine component did mount and component did update for very similar functionality it has a particular signature where useEffect's first argument is the function that's considered the effect. So it'll, it's whatever you would have put in component did update, component did mount, right? It's whatever would be in those functions. There's a second argument at the end of it that is a function that's called on unmount.
0: Oh, so it's like an unmount callback.
1: It's a callback that the React will call when you unmount Ooh, the component. That's nice. So that way, that's where you can you can unbind or do any kind of cleanup. The most common example is removing any DOM event listeners of any kind, if there were any. Yep. Removing any intervals or timeouts or yep. anything like that, uh, or whatever you're doing. If you're if it's a, if it's got an observer for some reason, like I don't know, maybe it's not MobX, but it's some kind of like observable. You would unbind the observable. Do whatever that does. So between those between that simple signature, use effect function one being what the effect is. Function two being what happens when it unmounts, essentially when that effect is, when the component is disposing of itself, is the whole cleanup. So I'm pretty sure that's it for effect, but uh, that is how I've used it. I've used it to combine did mount and unmount. Yes, will unmount, looking at the docs, and doing cleanup. So the other thing that you can do with effect is if you remember back in the day, uh, there was like mixins. There's yes. mixins in CSS, but there was like JavaScript. There's mix-ins. JavaScript
0: mixins, yeah. There's a concept of JavaScript mixins. Kind of a mess.
1: And well, it was kind of a mess. Like Backbone, Marionette had them. Yes. They called them behaviors. Yes. It's the same idea. Effects are behaviors. So you can say like, if you had a really big app, and they, they always advertise this. I know they're Facebook. They probably do have reasons to build these things, why they did it. But, you know, the biggest app I've ever built for a client, we were using Marionette. I think we had one behavior. Because a lot of the times the component behaviors are not actually similar
0: in in React. Not enough to break it down into one piece that you use across the board. Yeah, I agree with that.
1: And the thing with React is that you get component reusability by having components. So you break your components into sufficiently small pieces to where they're not really... You can just reuse that component. If it has some functionality in it, you can say, like say a good example would be like, we were, talking, we were joking the other day about the podcast website and say you had a player that was in the nav bar of the site and it was always playing the most recent episode. Maybe it started paused because nobody likes autoplaying audio. It started paused, but you hit play and then you scroll down the page But maybe the player went away, right? Somewhere in the middle of the document, you could have another component that pulls in the current podcast and then it already has a play icon above it. And if you're playing from the top nav it'd be playing in the body. If you pause it in the body, you would pause in the top. Well, you can implement that by creating a
0: single pause A single component that reads off the same Yeah, or you could use context. You could
1: do whatever you want to store the state of where it's playing, what it's playing, whatever. But that actual play button, when you press the play button, doing a weird
0: (laughs) analogy, when you press... That's not the right hand motion for pressing the play button.
1: When you press the play button... It would say, like, well, are you currently playing? No, but you're storing that in some context, storing it somewhere, right? But that's the whole point of, like, React's shareability of the context is that you can have a component on the top nav that has a play button. You can have a component in the middle of the body or the footer that has a play button. And the fact that it's playing or pausing is shared between a context. Because it's
0: the same component.
1: No, it, can't, it doesn't even have to or be the same component. It, yeah, you're right. It's, it's, shared, does, it's the
0: same context. The same it's the same state. The same, it, it's come from the same place. It's the same state. Yes. yes. So
1: the idea behind... The bigger idea behind effects is that the thing that actually plays and pauses and controls, so like it kind of gets into control components, but say that the play button was a controlled component. So the only way it goes from being playing to paused is if the state that's being given to it is playing or pausing.
0: Right, you'd have to pass it in there as part of the state.
1: Yeah, so what you'd usually do is you'd bind a click event. Is playing true? Well, you'd bind a click event to the actual component. And then in the handler of that click event, you would call not this dot set state playing or pausing because that would be within that component. You would say you know call this on play handler that actually sets the context. Yes, through the context. At a API, different, at a, at a different place, some
0: other location. Right?
1: So the only example that I can think right now at 10.01 10, in the you know at night so late <laughs> is you can you can say that the actual act of toggling the play and pause would be an effect so that that handler that says I'm currently playing or I'm currently not playing. And also I'm updating that to the context provider that's shared between those. The whole concept of like the context provider and the play pause being changed is shared logic. So you can put that in an effect and you can say, you know, import play pause effect from effects slash play pause. And you can put that in both of those components. Now you've taken for one, both of those components, well, have to be functional components now. But they don't have to each fully implement the class situation and bind to the I have to, I'd have to look, but I I don't I'm pretty sure you could bind to a context within an effect, or you would have to use
0: context on both of them. You'd have to write something to bind to context within the effect, but it essentially gives you the ability to not have or share or componentize, if you will, stuff that usually goes into component lifecycle yeah. methods that are specific to each component, even though they would, in our example, be the exact same thing across different components. So yeah. it's kind of nice. But the key is is that it's more like a JavaScript mix-in because you're
1: not sharing like traditional components, you would be sharing markup and maybe style components or some shared CSS of some kind. But like traditional components when you import like the play pause button into some other component. You're just importing the way it looks or the whole functionality. Well, everything, it's
0: it's all just functional, Greg. So, well,
1: you could import the functionality, but the whole point is that use effect is only for functionality. Right. That's what I was trying to get at. Yeah. yeah. You could import the functionality too, but this allows you to share the functionality of much more complicated components between two things.
0: That one's a real, that one is actually, I would say the most impactful out of the three. I mean, state one is kind of cute. It, it makes your life a little bit easier when you're writing components.
1: Well, the thing is you can't, like I said, you can't define state for a component without using uh, a class because you have to use either construct, which doesn't exist on functional components, or you have to use the the class properties that's experimental. es seven features. So either one of those, you can't define state in a functional component. So now you can. Yeah. And you can use context, which you could have done before. And you can do effect, which you couldn't do before. You couldn't have lifecycle functions on a in, functional in component. In a functional component, yeah. Yeah. So that pretty much, I think, covers hooks in theory. Let me look at their API reference. So you have use state, use effect, use context. Oh, you do you have, you have other ones, obviously. You what have are the other ones? You have use reducer, which Ooh. is very similar to uh, it actually allows you to create Redux like reductions of data without Redux? Without Redux, yeah. So you can, so the example they're giving is like, say you wanted to have some logic around your set state, which you could do in, like before you call set state, you can do the logic, right? Like con- conditionally
0: setting your initial state?
1: No, conditionally setting the update. So like oh. the example they're using is, lit- is a counter, of course. And so it says const state dispatch, cool, very similar to Redux, equals use, I and mean, obviously Abramov had something to do with this. Uh, equals use reducer reducer initial state so they pass back the initial state and the reducer but i don't see them using oh you're giving them the oh yeah you're giving them the reducer and the initial state obviously duh so you're getting back state and dispatch which is very similar to current state and update state it's just now you can define the very common pattern of switch action type Cases increment, increment the counter, decrement uh, decrement the counter, or throw an error, whatever is the example that they have. So, yeah, that allows you to have for a single component. And and the other thing you should consider, too, is that all of these effects can be applied to context providers because context providers themselves are just components. So you could create a context provider that has it. Because, like, one of the patterns that I did on a recent project is I actually created a very similar pattern to Redux out of like a single, um, I think it was a, it was a class based component that had its own state, had a render prop would pass data back to the component that it was being called from. But one of the things that it would pass back to it was an entire, was it a, was a, um, the actions that you can call on that state. So essentially it was like a very micro crude implementation of Redux. And then it had like a map state to props so that you could define the props and what they're called in your component in case you had collisions, and it would give you actions back. Well, you don't really need that with user-reducer. No.
0: I feel like this is one of the good things about these changes is that, especially with Redux, is that I found that it can be a little bit too much overhead.
1: It's a lot of boilerplate.
0: for Boiler something When wise. really
1: all you need is the actions and the reductions. Well, yeah, all, you,
0: all you need is the two things. Basically, I need to be able to store my state outside of my components, and I need to be able to... Something with that state outside of my components. That's really it. Yeah. The other thing
1: I don't really know is if, um, I'm sure it says it in here in the documentation somewhere, but when you're using use reducer, so they even say it's an alternative to use state. It's just a more complicated version of use state. But the thing they don't tell you in here, and I'm kind of glancing through, they don't say whether or not the state that they give you is immutable. It does not.
0: I don't think it is because that that's one of the requirements of the use state, right? Is that you initialize a, a special function specifically for manipulating that state.
1: Yeah, but I mean, when they give you back the state, can you actually just...
0: No, you have to use the the well, function. Just like you have to use set state. Do, do you? Yeah, you do. <sighs>
1: Are you sure? Because yeah. it doesn't say
0: anything in here about... I'm
1: pretty sure that the default... I mean, that would make... I'm not saying it wouldn't make sense. But I'm just saying they might leave that as an imp I mean, it wouldn't make any sense if they just let you set the state on the thing. So yeah, it probably no, it is would... immutable, but maybe there's something in react where they're like, you know, they catch it. Like they're internally using something like immutable JS. And they're saying like, you're trying to manipulate a prop, use the state, use the reducer, or the action rather.
0: I just I remember know. running into that quite a bit early on when I was learning react, when I was trying to, well, they you warn you the state directly and it warns you yeah. and it, it'll, it won't, let, it'll uh, break the compiler. That's it's because that sort of they
1: thing. that's because they catch it and they wrote a custom compiler rule for it. So
0: it seems like they would carry that over to use state though.
1: I, they would. I? I'm just saying. I'm just saying to the users, to the listeners that they might have to look that up. I'm pretty sure it does. But like Redux doesn't. You can pass a Redux state. This is crazy. Redux is great. Uh, I like Redux a lot. <laughs> but it is a lot of overhead of writing. There's a lot of extra words. It's
0: a, it's, a, it's a pain to set up.
1: Yeah, well, it also is I still think that it's smarter than a lot of other things. It's very, very like when it's a lot of boilerplate to set up, but the patterns are sound. And if you use uh, the Redux invariant library, where it basically checks if you're changing state, because that's one of the reasons why a lot of people use Immutable JS with Redux, because you can, you can actually say, because everything's passed by reference in JavaScript, when they give you back the state through the map state to props component, it's not immutable. So you, oh, really? You can change it, yeah. Because the the
0: reason that why... That seems weird that they would allow that in that location. They
1: leave it up to you.
0: That's oh, why they created
1: that. immutable JS. Oh, man. I don't know. Maybe it does now. I don't know. They still keep updating Redux. It's on like version 4 now. Maybe it is immutable by default. But, you know, there it wasn't like... Redux was such a simple API that very early on, when I first started using Redux, you could change the state. Unless you used invariant violation, which basically turned all the values that are returned from, it was a a middleware that would return all the values that come back to you into immutable objects. But that's the whole point of Redux's uh, reducers is that it's always, that's why when you're doing Redux, you have to return a new object. You can return the same object and you'll just never know.
0: Yeah, but yeah, that's a terrible idea though. Well, but don't do do that, guys.
1: The the point is, is that you have to know what you're doing because you can just, you can take a reducer and you can literally return the current state plus some other value and you just change this. You just mutated the state. Yeah, that's true. You could do that, but the pattern goes against it.
0: Yeah, you don't want to do that, guys. So don't either way. do it.
1: Yeah, either way. There's also use callback, uh, re- which, what is the purpose of this one? Pass an inline callback and an array of dependencies. Use callback will return a memoized version of the callback that only changes if one of the dependencies has changed. This is useful when passing callbacks to optimize child components that rely on reference equality to prevent unnecessary renders. Hmm. <laughs> Hmm. And their example
0: is should component update. So maybe I should look into this one more. Greg, do you think this would help you out with maybe some problems that you've been telling us about today?
1: Hmm.
0: Have you, have you been having infinite loops? Does your code (laughs) render itself? It's more like, uh, out of your control.
1: (laughs) Memoization basically returns. Try memo. (laughs) It's a technique used to speed up programs. I'm reading they link directly to the Wikipedia, but it's a technique used primarily to speed up computer programs by storing the results of an expensive function calls and returning cached result when the same input occurs again. So it doesn't force them to not be different. It's just a way to cache data temporarily in memory so that you don't end up changing things for no reason.
0: This also might end up being like one of those weird hacky shortcuts that people are like, oh, I don't want to set up all the other use reducers or redux, I'm just going to use memo all over the place and then like completely lose track of your global state. Hmm. I don't know.
1: I mean, I think that the, the reason that they're giving it is like, say you have two, you have a value in a component. And I mean, I don't think it really works. Well, they do give you a memo function. So you have to set it up yourself. But like, you have to basically create a difference function. But when you have like two simple values, like, cats is true, and the next time it's false, you can use memo and you can say like, well, if I get a component update and cats is still false, then don't do not do an update, right? You can do that, which comes in very handy because this is one of the ways that you would eliminate infinite loops. That's true. But the reason why the memo callback is a function, the first argument is a function, is because React, not React, JavaScript itself has no equality between two arrays or two objects.
0: Yes, yes that's to the true. Objects. Yes.
1: They do it like a top-level object, maybe. Uh, They don't even... No, they don't. They do between like two... This is one of those like funny JavaScript weird questions, but when you say empty object equals 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 empty object, what is it going to do? I think it's false. Mm -hmm. I don't know. So there's that. So the whole point of this is that you can define a function that is a difference function or an equality function, and then you can use that to create callbacks to functions that don't run with the same values. And then there's use memo directly where you can compute an expensive value and store it. So if you say like given two values, a and B run some function and determine if they've changed. So there's that there's use ref, which uh, if you've ever used refs in react, you have to set up the ref in the constructor you have to bind it as this dot inner ref or this dot or whatever this dot cat's ref equals nothing equals a null, and then in the component did update when or the component did mount equivalent when the DOM is actually say you're trying to bind to a uh, like an element in the DOM and you want to keep a reference on like a real element, you have to do that inside of the component did mount, so you know it's in the DOM so that you know it can actually bind to the component and then you can say like this thing's ref equals that. If you were doing it, I mean, the the React version of a ref is very similar to just creating, if you were ever doing jQuery, you're creating, like, a cached element. So you say, like, var l in the old days equals dollar sign bracket a with a class of cats. Right. And that would be your reference, your reference value. It's the same thing as that, except React's refs are used to bind to the actual rendered shadow element of that, but in the shadow DOM. So you can actually keep track of elements that react is rendering, but the actual h t the actual JavaScript element API equivalent of that thing so but refs are kind of annoying, and you can't use them in functional components. oh that's fun, so
0: if why, you look why at their, they do that they're giving us more tools
1: no then you can with
0: with hooks. There's oh. another
1: problem that it solves,
0: so oh, you are saying previously, okay
1: previously you couldn't create a ref without using a class component. So what they're doing is they're saying, and, and it looks, it's probably the ref is very similar to the state API. So it says const input L equals use ref null. So you're saying by default, the ref is null. And then when I click a button, or sorry, when I render, you, they're saying input ref equals input L. So basically when you render the thing, you bind the ref to the input element. And then on click, you can reference the input element. That's the example they're giving.
0: Interesting. Yeah. The example they have is essentially a form. Yes, for focus. Hood. So that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense.
1: You can do focus other ways, but, you know, like uh, one of the times that I had to use uh, this, re- like a ref recently, was I was rendering a form in a modal, but when the modal rendered, I wanted to focus on the form field. Which is exactly what they're doing here.
0: Is that the modal that I built? No. Is that the form that no, I built? No, this was not on This is project, a different one?
1: Different okay. project. All right, this one. There's something called use imperative handle which customizes the instance value that is exposed to parent components when using ref. So I think that's the same thing as forward ref, which they have now in Reacts that you can forward a ref through to a rendered component. It's essentially a way to pass a ref through, essentially. And then they have use layout effect. The signature is identical to use effect, but fires synchronously after all DOM mutations. Use this to read layout from the DOM synchronously and synchronously re-render Updates in scheduled inside use layout effect will be flushed synchronously before the browser has a chance to paint. So it's just a way to get really nitty-gritty with rendering things. And then there's a use debug value. I'm learning a lot because I haven't actually read these docs before. Use debug value can be used to display a label for custom hooks and React dev tools. So for example, considering the use friend status, hmm, I wonder where they got friend statuses from. Hmm, hmm. Mm. Custom hook, describe and build your own hooks. So then you use the friend status, saying whether or not they're online or offline, uh, and then you can oh, you can console it. So it'll tell you in the deep, in the tools like whether or not your friend is online or offline, whatever. Cool. So and then uh, yeah, that's that is hooks. That's all the hooks. So the last one kind of leads into you know what is one of the next things that's coming to React. So they talk about the layout effects being dependent on things in the DOM before the DOM has rendered, but also after everything has been flushed from the DOM and all these things about rendering, right? That's fun. They're talking about rendering stuff. So why would you want to care about rendering? One of the other really, really big problems in React is two kind of threefold. So you have code splitting. Right. You have getting data, which yep. I talk a lot about because I love it so much. Data Jiu-Jitsu. Data jiu So you have the idea that you maybe need to get some data from an API before you render. Well, traditionally, what you would do in, you know, React 16, 7, whatever, like not 8, whatever doesn't have this stuff. Well, actually, I don't think concurrent mode is out yet or suspense for data fetching. They say mid-2019, so not even ready yet. But either way, what the idea is is that inside of the component... You will tell it that it's dependent on some data source, and I, I'm not looking. I'm not going to look at the API for this one because it's not something you can. I think you can play with it in like maybe in one of the beta versions, but it's not out yet. But either way, you say in the component somehow that this component, even a functional component like a hook-based component, is dependent on some API request, right? So you say maybe uses concurrent data or uses a uh, use fetch. I don't know what they're going to call it. They probably have a name for it already, but it uses some effect essentially that goes and gets data. But you're like, well, in the meantime, while it's getting the data, what is React going to render? It's going to render whatever's in the render function at that particular time.
0: With or without you.
1: With or without you data. So if like the current state, so typically when you make a request, like we are talking about earlier, you'd say component did mount, Go out, get an API request. When the API request is successful, you await it, you do whatever. Um, well, yeah, I don't want to get into that yet. I was just thinking about async await. But so you go make the API request, you get the result, and then you set state with that result, right? So when that state comes in down below on the render, you'll typically say if zero, the zeroth element if you're being really crude or whatever, or loaded, whatever, then you'll show the loaded component. But before you do that, you'll short circuit it and you'll probably do the opposite. You'll say, if there is no data, render me a loading state or render me a, I'm grabbing data state or a placeholder state or something, right? Face of a cat. A face of a cat, good one. And then down below, when you actually get the data, you render the real thing. So that's one way that you can do that. But the problem is, is that if your data comes in with no data, it's going to to render the cat face and then it's going to switch to the other one. Yeah, it's going to re-render. Yeah. Now imagine a world, as I often say, where you have three or four API requests in the same component. Oh, man. Right? So say API request one gets some part of the data. I mean, typically you'd separate these components more, but there are reasons why you wouldn't. Say API request one will get, just be really, really crude. API request one gets the title of the image. API request two gets the source or body of the image, the actual image itself, an API request three gets the tags for the image. So say, for instance, you were like, I want to do something cool, and I want to get all three of those APIs to run in parallel. So, Because you know the image ID, which I don't know why you wouldn't make a better API, but whatever. So you go and you get the data set one, which is the title, data set two, which is the image, and data set three, which is the tags. And say you're doing them concurrently, so the tags come first. So what you're going to see is you're going to see the component try to, re- it's going to render, but the top part will be missing because you don't have the title. And the image will be a placeholder because you don't have the image. And the bottom part will be the tags. Then you'll see the tags. It'll look gross. And then maybe the image comes in. We're saying maybe the title comes in and then the image is still missing. Or so you got stuff like popping and moving poppin around. Popping and moving around, right? It's a mess. You so don't want w- that. You don't want that. So one of the things that they've added, they're going to add, is called concurrent mode. And what concurrent mode and suspense, which are the two terms, do is they don't just... Suspense literally defers the render for the two states. I'm loading or I'm not loading. What concurrency does, which is even more crazy, is that it actually provides priorities to rendering. Oh, man. So you can say, like, certain portions of a component have a higher percentage of rendering or higher importance of being rendered.
0: That's wild to me.
1: And it becomes really, really important when you're dealing with things that are updating very, very quickly. So say you have... I think I'm looking at... I think I'm talking about the right thing. But say you have... um, I think I'm referring to suspense, but basically say you have, like... Say you're dealing with a stock ticker, and you have, like, a price that's updating very, very fast. What is more important if the price changes near instantaneously with when the stock ticker changes or that the color of the text changes from red to blue, red to green, traditionally. The price is more important. The price is more important, but they're pretty damn close. Because you want to know when it's, you want to visually be able to see when it goes from red to green. You don't want to change the color before
0: the price changes. So So that's how you would, you would have to order your priorities. Yeah. You'd have to say, okay, I know for a fact that I do not want the color to change until the price changes. So color comes after price. And then Mm -hmm. you'd have say two or two or three other things. Like I know for a fact that my up arrow or down arrow is not going to change until after both the price changes and the color changes. So that comes third. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Render priority is actually pretty neat because I'm pretty sure I've spent a lot of time in my career, even from early on, like trying to figure out how the hell do I get these things to render in the order that I want them to render, not just not just to render at all. And I feel like this is finally the culmination of solving that problem Yeah, all these years later. So they
1: say concurrent mode lets React apps be more responsive by rendering component trees without blocking the main thread. It is opt-in and allows React to interrupt a long-running render, for example, rendering a news, new feed story to handle a high-priority event, for example, text input or hover. So my example was correct. So like, say you have on this theoretical page... A set. So say you're, you are building a stock ticker and then below you have like news updates from Google about certain stocks and they're happening pretty fast, right? But you want to make sure that the prices are always updating as damn accurate as they can because the news is like something people do when they're bored and they don't want to look at the prices, right? So you would say the render, the news has like a render priority of, I don't know, say, say the higher the number, the more pri- higher priority it has. Say you have the news as a priority of five. But then you see the stock ticker where the prices have a priority of 110. Yeah. You know, like CSS specificity or something. So then you can say, you know what, no matter what you do, render those prices, render the news feed maybe every 10th of a frame or something.
0: Yeah. The other thing that this makes me think of as the front end half of the brain on our show is that you can trigger some some fun transitions and things in certain orders, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're waiting for a certain piece of data to come back or, or waiting for things to come back. You can trigger animate ends of certain components that are using those pieces of data. You are thinking that this one needs to come before the other one, right? If you're drawing like a stick figure, you want the waving hand to come in first before mm-hmm. the person's face. I don't know, something like that. Yeah. The reason why I thought of that is because I did my taxes this weekend and the software that I used had a lot of nice little fade in, fade out animations and fun colors and, it was telling me how much I was going to pay. And then it was updating the number. How much you owe. And then it was going to be how much you owe. And then, like, you have to <laughs> go do this state over here actual state, like geographic state, not react state. And then it would change. And the number would change. And there'd be, like, a tree that came in. And mm. then, like, a thing with, like, a price. And the and number then it was would like, change. It was like it you count. owe
1: the government $5 million. But thankfully, you can save a tree by filing digitally by paying mm-hmm. us $75.
0: Realize, it was more than that. It was oh face. man. The, the upsells were, one hundred seventy dollars. There was one that was two forty nine ninety nine for something. I don't know what it was, but I I don't I don't need that upsell.
1: Yeah. So I don't know. So um, just to correct myself in a moment. So you can use concurrent mode in by using the unstable flag in front of the concurrent methods with React sixteen point six. Unstable flag. Yeah, they, they didn't, didn't want to just
0: call it like dangerously set. No, they, they dangerously set. Uh, they dangerously set hook.
1: No, they consistently will set things as unstable. So like when they removed component, uh, I don't know one of those methods. They called it un- component will receive props. Just the one that always messes me up because now it's called componented update. Well, either componented update did exist. I don't know, but the either way, when they made component will receive props go away, it was it became unstable. Underscore component where we see props. And if you ever referenced it without unstable, they throw a warning to you, a yellow oh, bar warning. So it's like and a feature flag. It's, it's like actually a feature a be- flag. It's a better way to do it. They're telling you that it's either, if, depending on the context, it's either a feature that is uns- experimental or it's one that's going away. Yeah. But either way, they use unstable.
0: Yeah. The dangerously set one we like to joke on because it's very heavy handed. And yeah. you ran into a couple of things where it's like, I can't do anything other than this.
1: I'm well, really that was, not
0: trying to be dangerous here, but <laughs> what else am I supposed to do? Well, that was a should component update
1: because, like, man, when, I don't know. I don't want to get into that. But, like, when they they basically made it so the only method you can do are compo- Well, I think a lot of this fixes it. So it's like... Yes, yes they're that's doing the point things, of our show today, guys. Yeah, they're doing things where, like, they're removing APIs that they consider unstable that are blocking them from building these features. So they can't... They, they apparently... Because they're, they're always thinking, like, a year ahead or more... They're thinking, well, we can't add concurrency if we keep component will receive props in place because the way the API was written, it doesn't work. So they make it unstable. And then by the time that concurrency becomes final and is actually in the build, they're going to drop component will receive props. That's why they're doing it. So they're kind of phasing things out that stop them from doing new things.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I think that's a better way to do it rather than just dropping things, yeah, out of the blue, out of the sky for no reason. And hooks was insane
1: because it had literally no impact on anything that was in React already. All it the was hundred percent, backwards 100% compatible. Backwards yeah, compatible which, is, which is wild. Which is wild. I don't think concurrency is a hundred percent backwards compatible. I think that's why they're getting rid of some of the Wills and Dids of the world is because they want because con- it doesn't work with concurrency.
0: Oh, I think that's
1: what it is. I don't know. I don't work there, but I'm pretty sure that's the reason why.
0: If you if you work at Facebook and you know about these things, why things were named the way that they are, Greg really sure. wants to know. Just tweet them. Just I'm let them sure know.
1: Sure, they would talk about it forever because I find this stuff super nerdy, and I would love to work on this stuff. It would be, it'd be crazy building the tools. Yeah, I, I like to build tools more I like to build stuff for clients. I like I like building stuff that builds stuff.
0: I feel like it'd be hard. I don't know if this is something that's specifically to building tools, but I feel like any kind of long lived project or where it's the same thing that you look at every single day, day in and day out for years, there's got to be periods or moments in time in there where you're just tired of looking at it no matter what yeah, it is. The
1: one, the one thing just to like to, to stop summarizing their docs, but like one of the crazy things about Facebook is that just the React team, maybe not Facebook, but the React team directly is that they have the forethought to like build something that is like completely usable by so many different applications, structures, teams, products, like so many different things can use it. And they're thinking ahead, like how can we make the API of this simpler, faster, you know, less component updates, quicker to render. But then not only how can there be strategies to make that happen, but like how can we make it, so simple. So like, you think about, let me, before you say something, because less is more. Yeah. Like when, when you look at like Redux, Redux was besides Flux itself, which is Facebook's state handling system for global state before Redux. Even if you look at Redux, you're like, that is really confusing. If you've never used it before.
0: It's totally confusing. It's
1: super confusing. There's certain, I mean, like I've used it a lot, so it makes sense to me, but there's still things that I build with Redux where I'm like, how the heck are you going to do that? Yeah. Because some of the things like what Redux basically does is it takes the state that you would have in a a single component and makes that reactive updating nature of it, but makes it global to a global store. And it manipulates the the context of React to say...
0: through a very complicated set of chutes and ladders, yes.
1: Well, it's not really that complicated because what it uses is it uses context. But you say, okay, well, before there was a context-providing system of React, like an actual first-class system, which I'm not going to speak for Dan Embermott, but I'm pretty sure that's one of the first things he worked on when he got to React was context, react.context.
0: Oh, yeah. You, I mean, you have to because of the whole paradigm around React.
1: Yeah, so he basically said, okay, if I could get into the source code of React and I wanted to implement something like Redux, but simpler, what would I do? I'd probably start by making a global context provider. I would update the whole context API, which he they did. I'm not going to say he, they did. They completely replaced the whole context API. They built React.createContext and that whole flow. And the next thing they did is they created hooks and they created use reducer. Well, what do you have there? Between those two things, you have Redux. Yes. You have the complexity and the simplicity and the immutability of reducers. You have the actions through the use state or use reducer, either one of those. And everything is specific to one. Data value, which was the whole point of Redux. Like you can overload Redux stores and you can overload reducer stores with lots of pieces of lots of sub keys of data. But in reality, every reducer should be related to one thing. Yes, you, that's true. And you can make them abstract things like location is an abstraction. It can provide, it could be, it could have five values in it. It could be a zip code, it could be a lat, it could be a long, it could be a bunch of meta props. Did user accept geolocation? Did user decline geolocation? which kind of the same thing. Did browser fail to get geolocation because you're on IE? Did, you know, did you get a lat long, but you failed to get a zip code from Google because the lat long, for some reason, there are some zip codes that don't translate to zip. There's some lat longs that don't translate to zip codes in Google. I found a few of them. Or they don't match. Or they don't match or like,
0: like they're way off. They're like the
1: user types an invalid zip code, and then you can't get the geolocation. But the only way you know that that's a bad location, unless you have some kind of like zip lookup tool or some zip lookup library that needs to be updated all the time, you would probably call Google Maps and you say, "Hey, I have this postal code. What is the locality of that?" And it'll give you back a whole splat of object data that includes the lat long and says this is the locality of Los Angeles, specifically Santa Monica, specifically this lat long. You know, so you can do that. But like that would be stored inside of the location abstraction. So it would be a reducer that contains a large piece of state that has many different ways and different keys to manipulate. So if you wanted to manipulate the zip code, you'd create an action called update zip, and then you would change the zip code in the location store. But reducers make super complicated overloaded states. Sorry, not always super complicated. Larger states with larger sets of keys more easily manageable because you can update each piece of it individually through an action through the reducer so the whole point i'm trying to make is like minus the middleware portion of redux because it has a whole layer of middleware you have most of redux just with actions reducers and context providers
0: yeah boom the the hooks are pretty good I, i am enjoying the what i would interpret as a move away from redux
1: i like redux and i like class components but you know this Some of the life cycles.
0: It, it's simpler. All right. It's, well, uh, all right. It's not even that it's simpler. It's just, it's more straightforward and it's easy to teach and pick up. It's easier to learn. And there's fewer things. Yeah, there's up. less to think there's about. There's less to think about. There is
1: because, but then, but then everything becomes, which is probably fair. Everything becomes an abstraction. So you say, I have this concept of state. So I'm going to use state to set a single value or maybe an object. So your state value becomes an object. Some it, it is easier to think about because it's an abstraction. So, anyways, you put this overloaded state object inside of the state, and then you have all these different keys. But then you're like, well, how do I update it? If you think about how the computer would do it, you would return the whole entire state, no matter how large it is. So now imagine that your state object is 100 records of images. It's your whole newsfeed. It's a, it's a nested whole whole newsfeed of Facebook. And you want to edit or remove one of those objects, Oof. right? So one way you could do that is by saying, you know, I mean, this is kind of like the traditional way that you would, if you would make an API request, imagine you're making an API request to an API for 20 newsfeed articles, but you're not using something that stores it. Like say we're going just ignore React. You're using Backbone, but you don't put it in a collection with a model where each newsfeed item is an individual model. And then say backbone back in the day would know that the collection of newsfeed articles comes from API slash news slash all maybe, or news paginated page equals one limit equals 20, whatever it is. And you get back 20 of those, but it knows internally because you've mapped the models that one of those particular keys in the collections object of the model, sorry, the models object is actually the key that you can use to update that one record. Right? So there's always this problem where you're like I've grabbed 20 news articles, but I want to add my comment to one of them. So then you say and just imagine that the comments are attached to the news feed article and not through some
0: pivot table. There it's its own thing.
1: Say so it's not its own thing, it's with it. So you're like cool, I'm going to attach a comment. So back in the day when you used to, when I used to write like PHP apps with Backbone, I would say, okay, well I have the 10th news feed article of those 20. And I want to add a comment to it. You have to make this decision the minute that you do that to say, when I want to edit the 10th object, I have to either take that 10th object, manipulate its data in memory, and then call, say you're using backbone correctly, which a lot of people didn't do. Then you'd call the update on that model. And it would essentially do a patch or an update to that object. Well, right there as the person who's integrating the backend and the front end, you have to make a decision do, does that API only return a status 200 and maybe the ID of the object you just modified just to be really safe? Like 200 okay, ID 10 was updated, right? That's all it returns to you.
0: But you don't actually know if you if that's all you it know, returns. No,
1: let's just say for the sake of this argument, that the API is correct. Okay. You know that it updated item 10. It was successful, 200 okay, it's great. Fantastico, it's updated. Okay. So you know for a fact that in the database record for item 10 is comment that you just added. Cool. So that that is a given. You have to make a decision in your front end. Do I know at that particular time that the state of data that's in my client's memory is correct? Or should I have from the API returned the whole item 10 again from the server? And then you have to say that when I get back item 10, I want to replace in the whole collection of 20 news feed articles, I'm going to replace ID 10 completely with the one from the server, right? You need to make that decision. The reason why you would typically, it depends how well you control the backend, but if you know for a fact that it made the update and you're 90% sure, well, 99 or 100% sure that it made the update, you can just rely on what's in memory. The other thing is, you ever been using an app and something says something in the view and then you refresh and it goes back. Yes. It's because they did what I just said. They got the okay 200. They got the ID back. They used the one in memory. They accepted it as okay, and they went on with their life. But, but then the when you refresh, the one on the server was right, not the one in the memory. Right. So the other option is that when you update item 10, you return the whole object again, but then you're wasting data. Think about the IEs and the 56K <laughs> modems, man. Think about
0: the 3Gs of the world. Think about guys. the 3Gs of the world. You're wasting data. Yes. That is a good, that is a good standard. So, so, everything should be standardized in 3G. So, what what,
1: what that, fixes this problem? Well, what fixes this problem? Folks? GraphQL. Gra- oh, man. Because when you make the that's update, if you wanted to know that the title was correct, you can reselect just the title. Amazing. You can say, is that title on the server the same as my title? That's amazing. Fantastico. I'm done. The other thing that fixes it, well, I mean, that's a good idea. I thought you were done. I can go on forever, man.
0: No, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta wrap it. Well, up. I don't know. That's one of the things final, that's final, cool. Final thoughts. Final thoughts on hooks. Good, not good, neutral. Yeah, um, thumbs up, thumbs down.
1: I'm thumbs up in it, but I need to spend more time with it because I've only used it on one project. We had um, one of my friends at work, who's young developer, wicked smart, and he was like, "I just want to try hooks and you know Apollo Apollo hooks." This like. Brand new that was Apollo's hooks? Oh jeez! No, 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 no! It was real hooks.
0: That was real hooks. But they've made
1: Apollo? someone, yeah, either someone or Apollo, don't know, created a Apollo hooks integration of Apollo Client. So it, oh. they've created hooks. I think it's a third party thing. They've created hooks that do the things Apollo does, like mutations and whatever. They've recre- created those as a library that works well with hooks, but it's like beta.
0: It's you interesting. It still it still is very new. I think that that might be something we haven't expressed clearly is that this literally just went to the stable branch like, what, a month ago? A couple yeah. weeks ago?
1: But when they put it to the stable, it's stable. They've the, been, the talking, APIs about it. They've been stable. talking
0: about it for a long time. It hasn't been officially released until recently, but it is stable enough now to use. But it has been yep. talked about enough and long enough to the point where it feels like it's been out, but it hasn't actually been out. So they've been been dog feeding it
1: to themselves. So I know that the hooks themselves Mm -hmm. actually work. What I think is still question, not questionable, but still needs some work is the community's use of hooks to make libraries. You don't really know
0: how well those, how are the patterns of how how people are already writing React stuff. how is that going to be impacted by, by these hooks? I think Uh, hooks are good. I think it's going to be positive, but it's just a whole different way of writing things. I'm thumbs up on Hooks. I would super hope that Hooks allows us to move more and more away from Redux, not because Redux is bad, but because it does all the same things. Well, I just, I'll admit that I am not the biggest fan of Redux because I feel like the complexity doesn't necessarily equate to the amount of functionality that you get out of it and you can accomplish a lot of the same things without Redux. I digress. Well, now you I can. Told, now you can, not but you could before as you, well. I digress. That's mm. uh, that's a whole nother episode, but mm. I think hooks are good. Definitely go check those out. We'll have links in the show notes about the API reference. Maybe do you have any like articles or things you want to link up? That we I could mean, talk about? They, they did a bunch of talks
1: at the React Conf where they talked about hooks and there are just everybody is writing about them. I know one... Um, is that one? Do you have a particular uh, the, source? The Kent Dodds one. Yes, 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 yes. I know
0: which one you're talking about. We'll have a link to that one as well, so you can read up. I remember the reaction to that video, and people were like, "What? Oh my goodness, it's great!" All those things. Check out the show notes. You'll be able to learn a lot of things about hooks just just from listening to the Pub Funk Show. Mm-hmm. Greg, do you have any? Uh, do you have any picks this week? oh man
1: uh so one of the two things I did this weekend one is that I spent a ton of time in destiny trying to get thorn which is a gun
0: I feel like this is a variation of every story you talk about destiny every single week
1: well I mean the whole point of destiny is you farm 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 things until you get something and then you're like cool I got that
0: yeah so last time you weren't you weren't having a great time but this time uh, this weekend you're having a good time
1: I don't want to. I don't want to spend a ton of time talking about it. But yeah, I mean, they 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 did some stuff early on in the season that was kind of annoying, and they've they've they always kind of like do stuff and then realize something about it that wasn't quite right, you know. So they fixed fixed the matchmaking in gambit, which made it more fun. Mm. And then there's been other content that's come out. You know, there's been some things in the story that have died, that have gone that have improved, and they released Thorn as a quest you can do and. The whole idea is that if I remember, remember I talked about the last word, which is a gun.
0: Yes. I think a while ago.
1: Yeah. So there's two guns in the world that represent good and evil, which we were talking about earlier. And you were like, oh, it's like Star Wars and whatever. So (laughs) there's
0: just not saying that's bad. I'm just saying it reminds (laughs) me of Star Wars.
1: Yeah. So, so thorn was the gun that was used by a very bad guardian. who was evil, went to the darkness. And then the last word is a gun that was used by a guardian who was really good, who fought against evil. So in the current lore in Destiny Two, you can actually get both guns. Oh man! You just got the last word last season, and then you're getting Thorn in this season.
0: Does something bad not happen if you possess both guns?
1: Nah, I mean, they kind of are. Well, you you've recreated essentially when you got the last word. Everybody, so everybody in Destiny is, it, it has the same story, so they're all treated like they're the, you're the guardian of the world, even though there's other guardians. So whatever. But everybody got the last word by going in, doing a bunch of stuff and then going into a dungeon and stealing the gun back from something who had it from the guy who lost it. So there's like some lore story around how he lost it, how the bad thing got a hold of it and you get it back. With Thorn, you actually go to the... You essentially become dark to recreate it. So you have to go oh, into... Man. With both guns, you had to go into the crucible and kill people. Oh, man. So there was a lot of like... You know, the the drifter who's the guy who runs Gambit was like, oh, how, where did you get that gun? Talking about the last word because he's partially potentially dark. So he wanted you to get, he wants to pull Guardians more towards the dark side. Theoretically, to understand the dark side that you can defend against it. The whole point of Destiny is a very tri- typical story where there's a darkness coming from space and it's going to take over, oh, it's going to kill everything. It's just killing everything in its path. And the Traveler, which is the thing that goes to each planet and gives people the light, which is like the powers you have, is there to fight the darkness. And it's trying to find a group of people or a civilization that can defeat the darkness. It's the whole point of the Traveler.
0: Oh, man. So there's a lot of lore, a lot of lore in Destiny. a very, very deep story.
1: So I got, I got uh, the thorn. I haven't even shot it yet. I just got it and just logged right off because I had to go do other stuff.
0: That, that's your pick?
1: That was one of my picks. You have another pick. The other one was the headphones you saw. Oh,
0: tell us about the headphones. What, is that better than Thorn? You don't like. Uh, that's a better. That's a better. <laughs> <laughs> you don't like guns, some well, people
1: who play this, well, listen the, to this, might like guns.
0: Thorn is a little bit abstract. <clears throat> everything is abstract. Hoax everything, everything, C. Everything is C. Everything's everything abstract. is abstract. Time is a concept on top of C. Time is that's a concept
1: true. wrapped in an enigma in a singularity.
0: Tell us about the headphones, Greg. <laughs>
1: So the other thing was I've always wanted uh, i have always wanted a pair of good open back like traditional dynamic driving headphones because I have a pair of open back planars and I've had a pair of open back dynamic drivers that I didn't like that I sold to a friend of mine. And then uh, I've never owned a pair of Bayer Dynamics even though I like their sound and I've always heard, I've heard people that have had them never owned a pair. So I decided to get a pair of the DT990s 250 ohm
0: they are very nice. I tried them on earlier.
1: They're very comfortable. They're extremely light. They're way more comfortable than the M50s, which you're wearing. We're both wearing right now.
0: They're very light. For I was surprised by how light they were.
1: Yeah, they're very easy. The, you know, the thing is, they. I think that they sound pretty good for some music, but I think that the Planars sound better for music. But I think that the separation and the kind of the the, the difference between the treble and the bass and everything. Is just way better for gaming with the DTS. I think they're one of the best gaming headphones. The only thing is they're open back, so you can use, you know, like my microphone at home when I play games, and I can still hear myself talking, but I can keep both headphones on.
0: So then you really, have the soundstage,
1: and they have the soundstage, and they sound really good, and the sound doesn't really leak out of them as much into the, have the mic as, uh, as say the Planars do. So they're kind of isolated, but you can still hear.
0: Oh, yeah. So that's, okay. I know what you're talking about. That series is has been talked about online as like being a, a quote unquote semi-open. Yeah. Which is not a fully like you're going to hear you're every single hear thing. You're not going to
1: hear everything, but you can hear it.
0: But you can hear it. They're and I can open. hear people
1: talking to me while I'm wearing them pretty relatively, unless the music, unless what I'm doing is loud, like shooting Thorn. Oh, man. So it's all about gaming.
0: That's cool. Did you get those from Amazon? Did you get them anywhere special?
1: I get everything from Amazon. Yeah.
0: You should branch out.
1: I mean, they had the best price. They were not that expensive. That's, that's true. That's the way to go. And they came in two days. I ordered them on Friday, I think Friday morning, and they came Saturday morning at eight AM.
0: That's pretty amazing.
1: Now you pay for stuff at Amazon?
0: I have gotten things that uh, were same day shipping before, and it still boggles my mind.
1: I don't understand how they do it.
0: I don't get how they do it. They're definitely like couriers in there somewhere, but it's just
1: they probably had them available. Technology at, man. At like the the they have a warehouse in by UCLA. Yeah, pretty sure.
0: I I imagine that uh, they resemble an assembly of Uber cars around like the club at closing time. They just they're just kind of hanging out waiting
1: closing time
0: at like six a.m. And then all of a sudden the the Amazon gates open up and then like they're just like throwing people packages and they're like clamoring to get. Are you them saying that they're telling them? the drunk people to
1: deliver the packages or for coming out of the club or they're telling the Uber? No, I'm when saying the club's I'm done. saying the
0: couriers. The same day delivery couriers are like gathered around kind of like the same way cabs are around the mm. club at closing time. Because they know that they're about to get this is a terrible analogy. I'm I sorry. know, I was just I'm wondering, wondering where you're going with this. What's I your apologize. pick? My pick. I have two your picks. pick is Better Analogies by Albert Park. Better analogies by my <laughs> next for my next book. I've got two picks. So these are two interesting websites I've seen recently. First one is called generative.fm. Did you see this? Have you heard about this at all?
1: I have seen like one of the generative algorithm things for images, but I don't know. What is this?
0: Generative FM is a website that plays generative music.
1: No way.
0: It's really good. So it is there. It does not play a single audio file on this website, right? It has, I think maybe a dozen, maybe 15 different tracks you hit play on one of them and it starts playing music and it's very kind of drony and ambient kind of music. It's not very fully instrumental out. Like you're not going to get a, you know, like a, a Dessa song out of one of these things, but it starts playing music and you can hear notes and you can hear things and it just keeps playing and just keeps going. But there's no audio file. Like you can look at the the code for the site. It's a very clean, simple straightforward forward site, but the code that he wrote, is generating the music as it plays. Mm-hmm. So it's technically looping, but each loop is unique. And it's not constructed in a way like a typical pop song is where there's like a beginning a middle and an end. It's just kind of, okay, I've figured out this many notes. I'm going to play them. Okay. You've gotten to that. I'm going to figure out this next set of notes. I'm going to play them. Okay. You've got to the end that and it just keeps going, going and going. And this is all, none of this music was written by a human. Mm-hmm. None of it was put together, arranged in any sort of way by a human. You just hit play and it plays it. Does and it get
1: better? Like you can read certain parts of it and it learn. Uh,
0: it it has a surprising amount of dynamics in terms of starts really quietly and then like kind of swells up and then you have like more action going on and then like it slows down and then all it kind of ebbs and flows just like normal music does. It was pretty pretty amazing stuff.
1: What do you use it for while you're working?
0: Uh, yeah, actually, I did that today. I was listening. I was checking it out out of curiosity today, but then I also. Just hit play Spend on one
1: of them? nine
0: hours listening to it? Actually, kind of, yeah. So I hit play. I got back from lunch and I started coding. I hit play on one of them and I completely forgot that I had it on. Hmm. I was just, writing, just coding away. And then I was going to get up and do something. I realized I had the music on. I was like, oh, wait, that's not Spotify. That is a computer playing music for me. I can't believe that. So that's a pretty neat one. Generative.fm. We will have a link for you. Feel free to use it. There's a bunch of different genres i guess different kinds of tracks where you can different listen to different kinds of generated music but the whole idea that computers can create music is just wild to me so that's my first one my second pick is something that's a little bit older i think but i just found out about it today it's called squoosh squoosh squoosh.app squoosh.app squoosh. app is a squoosh image compression website image compression algorithm
1: you don't just use tiny ping.
0: No, this is a better one. This is this one is made by. Does it use generative algorithms to figure out it's, what parts of the image? It's to made by Google, of course.
1: Sometimes your image is missing green. Sometimes it's missing blue.
0: So one of the things I like about this one is that I don't know if you can see this, Craig. That's the one that's recording our. So it gives audio, you the slider so in the middle. So where it. you can compare Disconnect that thing, the original. Put, put it back down. You can compare the original image versus whatever <laughs> yeah. image you want to compress it to. And you get a slider, you get a quality slider. So if you want to say compress it down to, I think it defaults to 75%, but if you want to go down like 70 or 60%, it'll generate a preview of that compressed image and you can slide between the original and compressed. That's pretty see, wild. To see how much of that compression you can actually put up with. You can zoom in. So you can, if you're really pixel peeping, you can really get down in there and be like, oh, that one pixel one is Iris. Yeah. Can't do it. Can How does it deal with vignettes? I don't know, but... Hmm. Yeah, it's pretty nice. Uh, It looks like it is a pretty efficient algorithm. So like this example that's showing, the original image is 2.79 megs, which is gigantic. Don't ever use an image that big, guys. And it is compressing down to 75% quality, which is the default, and it gets it down to about 800K. Hmm. Can you do it programmatically, or do you have to like... No, you have to still do like the drag and drop kind of thing, but... I mean that's something that you're doing anyway.
1: Do they have like a workflow for the you know creative people to actually put the images in there and give them to you?
0: I mean, other than dragging and
1: dropping. <laughs> well, I mean, but are they actually going to go in there and drag and drop? Are they going to hand you a PSD with twenty five megabyte images?
0: Uh, uh, you'll you'll have to ask. That sounds an oddly specific. I know some story. websites that are
1: like thirty four megabytes large. Oh man, it's pretty cool. Oh um, man, it's like you're downloading like a whole.
0: If only they had a tool like squoosh.app. It's like you're on app.
1: Napster and you're downloading like a really large song. You just you're really done like downloading an album. 36 megabytes is like an entire Napster 256 kilobit album.
0: Yes. Yes, that's <laughs> true. Yeah. Don't put images that big on your website, folks. Anyway, squoosh.app compress your images down as small as you can. Uh, it looks really good. The interface is super clean. It is run by Google. So however you feel about that, proceed accordingly. But I like it. I think I'm going to start using it. Um, I was using TinyPing before. I was using another one called Compressor.io, which is also really nice. I uh, had a similar thing where you could can, With Compressor.io,
1: could you upload an image to it and get back a good image?
0: Yes. The images I got back from Compressor.io no, were like, always good. Could you programmatically do it? No. Take that IO away.
1: Just get it back. They can't have it. You can't have an IO thing unless you can programmatically add a binary of image and get back a binary of image compressed
0: i wonder how hard it would be to write a cli to do that it seems like it wouldn't be i don't know especially if you're just sending something off it to sounds a like somebody that with a
1: io domain should do
0: i don't know if i still have mine no I'll i meant, have to double I meant check. like
1: i meant the, the company uh, i
0: about. had albert Park.io for a while i don't know if i still have does it
1: does that input and output albert's
0: i mean io is actually technically registered to a country the indian is. outlying islands which is a British territory. So, you're
1: paying of people who convert images for you. That's where you send your images and they send you back an image that's
0: changed, right? Yes, that's precisely that what how the doing. internet works. That's precisely what they're doing.
1: Yeah, there's like a bunch of people there that are input outputting a lot. It's import export business for sure, but digital only digital.
0: Import image, export default Just image, import
1: anything, export anything else. That's import where all image, the data goes. Import
0: image from React. They're the data warehouses for everything. Export default image from React.
1: You actually can. With Ed, Webpack oh import and export images. Oh
0: my God, I was trying to make a React joke. No, you, know, went too but you far can't because
1: you can actually do that with Webpack. <laughs> so, you know, you can import SVGs from a SVG
0: that's true. file. That's true. You and can import you back anything you want. You can export anything the you XML want. XML markup. Oh man.
1: And you can import and export images and use them as source references. And it'll make them binary files, base64 if you wanted to. Don't
0: do any of that, folks. Just use Squoosh.app what? or well, whatever, okay, compress your day. images. But Squoosh.app is worth checking out. Again, we have links in the show notes. Show notes will be on the website publicfunction.show.spaceforce.tv. I slash 0014 slash spaceforce.io. No, we just do the episode we numbers. We import and export Space Forces. Just the episode numbers makes it easier. Oh, okay. Publicfunction.show. All the episodes are at publicfunction.show. This episode, all the show notes. What
1: episode? Is we didn't even
0: do that whole thing, or we
1: talked about it. It's episode 14. So the
0: 15th? The 15th episode.
1: What are we going to do when we get to like 25?
0: I oh, know. You want to have a party?
1: Should we do like a whole
0: launch party? We should have a giveaway. What are we going to give away? I have stuff we can give away. Oh, okay. The, the, Albert so, has a bunch of stuff he can give away. <laughs> the tricky part about this is I have stuff that is actually like super nice that we can give away. And then I have stuff that I'm sure some people would appreciate, but some people would be like, didn't that cost $5? So, oh no, we'll think about that. Mm-hmm. Well, well, let us know folks. You can tweet at us, tweet at the show, at a public function, and tweet at Greg, at Grigorsky. I'm at Al Park. I've been very annoyed by the notifications on Twitter. I get all kinds of things. You can me. control which ones. You can just... So you can just There's uh, so many checkboxes. Uncheck everything except uh, like mentions and direct uh, direct messages. That's
1: can I mean. have like a... When do I get like a someone to manage my Twitter for me?
0: We are not quite there yet. Oh, damn. We are not quite there Gotta yet. Gotta get that IO business going. Oh, man. Space Force. At Gregorski, At Al Park. We
1: should get some Space Force
0: contracts. At a public function, We could build a rocket out of React. As long as that person is we'll managing build, our, our system, we'll build media.
1: the <laughs> entire like rocket management view system subsystem out of React.
0: Touchscreen sensitive? I mean, there's got to be a library for that, right? Like, like hammer.js to do touchscreen. Is there a React implementation of hammer? I haven't seen I'm one. Sure, there's
1: React hammer, probably.
0: Or I mean, the like problem similar. with those is that the especially the ports is that they're not always first party ports. And so they are varying levels of quality to those. Well, some of them are good the, and some of them aren't.
1: Depends if the original one is
0: written in a way that it could be ported. That's true. That is part so, of it, but still you still have the problem. Hammer with was pretty dope, ports.
1: but it was built a long time ago.
0: That's true. If you got, if listeners, if you know of anything that you sure. like to use, definitely one, let us know. Tweet at Greg. One Google away. Definitely mm. tweet at Greg. Or you can email us. You can email us. Hello at public dot show. That is the email address. I will respond to you. I also know Greg's personal email address, so I could forward anything that you Ooh. want me to, to to get to him. So I'll send him anything. Whew. Just let us know. Just put it in the subject line. Forward this to Greg, please. PLZ, please. And
1: please, please uh, message Al Park and tell him all the things we said wrong about hooks. Today.
0: Yes, that would be amazing. That'd be and great. all the
1: other things. Yes. Everything we said wrong, he said it. I didn't say it. Make, that sure, you,
0: it. make sure you in, include the hashtag will actually because everyone loves it when you do that on Twitter.
1: What does that mean? I'll... I don't know what that is. What
0: is that? There's an entire subsection of, we'll call them a a subspecies of troll on Twitter that like to just go around and try to correct people for no reason. And as you can imagine. Oh, the well
1: actually. They said will actually.
0: Hashtag well actually.
1: Well, actually, React hooks don't even do hooks. I don't know what
0: you're talking about. Um, act, well, actually, uh, React hooks didn't come out until uh, January 1st, not January 2nd. You concurrency got is
1: um, a thing that's that's unsuitable, not unstable. You had the word group.
0: Super wrong. looking forward to all of those. Let us know, totally. folks.
1: Hey, guys, we're all learning, too. I have been doing React for about, what, three years now? We did React for three years? Literally just did my fuck book. <laughs> did my first <laughs> Falk. Did my first hook project like, you've been doing that for three years i think so the the one internal project that i built
0: when did you start when did you because you showed me the steven greider video like i would say two years ago yeah but I, that wasn't the first that time you did before that okay
1: that i had ever used. that was when i was trying maybe it was two and a half months, years but months
0: i remember it was the yes, summer i learned to react two years react ago just because ago. it was a hot summer
1: like temperature wise?
0: Yes. It was hot outside. can you inside. base everything based no, on like I just the, remember, the I don't phases know. of the moon? I think I came into work one day with shorts, which is something I never ever do. And then you were like, hey, watch this video because we're gonna have to do this stuff in our future. Or something like that. You made some God, like very I have such forethought. You you made this very uh future looking remark, and I was like, that can't be right, but I don't have anything to do, they all just do this. All right, maybe That's it was fine.
1: two and a half years ago. But two, two years a long
0: time hard. and
1: hooks just did my first project i mean it did just come out but it's hard to use stuff like that in production it's just it just changes everything changes all things anyway it does change a lot anyways that's why the backwards compatible is such a big deal it's 11
0: o'clock it is it's super late greg Mm. see you next week see you next week